0: Good morning. I am excited to be with you guys this morning. I am Gretchen Danforth. For those of you that don't know, I'm the children's pastor here at Ignite Wesleyan. So that means I usually follow that crew of kids down the hall. So it's exciting to get to be in here this morning to be with you all. And it is hard to believe that we are already a month out from Easter, which seems crazy, but we are excited about about the weather and about the changes, but we have been in a sermon series since Easter talking about what the empty tomb means. Now what? What does this mean that the tomb is empty? So Pastor Aaron talked a few weeks ago about the tomb represents God's unfailing love. God knew in all of his sovereignty that we were gonna need rescued, that we were going to fail, yet he still sent his son to rescue us. And then the next week, we, we talked about the fact that the empty tomb allows us and calls us to be different, that when we belong to Christ, we are called to be different. And then last week, Pastor Aaron gave a message about the empty tomb allows us to not have to pretend anymore. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We don't have to pretend to be okay, because the tomb and the God that we serve walks with the broken. So this week we are going to wrap up the series and we are going to talk about what this empty tomb means and what it represents about God's character. Now, Easter is one of my favorite holidays and every year when Easter rolls around, I kind of put myself in the position of the disciples or even Mary and just what it would have been like to be there, to watch these things unfold, to see the betrayal and the arrest and the crucifixion. And the first thing that I think is I would have been so worried about what was going to happen on the third day, what was going to happen on Easter Sunday what what really was going to happen, and how was it going to end? because I like to know the end of the story before the end of the story that 's just how I'm made. Um, this drives my daughter completely crazy we her and I are watching a series on Netflix right now and when I know that it's an episode where something big's gonna happen, or I kinda feel like maybe it's gonna be one of those episodes, honestly, probably every episode, I Google the ending before we watch it. So I have to watch, walk through what, what happens. I wanna know if my favorite character's gonna die, if this is where they leave the show. Like, I wanna, know, I wanna know the ending before it happens. And then when I know the ending, I can kind of relax because I know what's gonna happen, right? It's not near as stressful for me. So, when I imagine myself watching or thinking through the crucifixion, I kind of think that would have been where I was. And I would wonder, how is this going to play out? And I think from reading scripture, there are at least a few disciples that probably felt the same way that I did. Like they wanted to know for sure. They wanted to have all of the details. They would have been the modern day, Google the end of the episode kind of people with me, right? But here's the thing. Jesus told them the whole story. He told them the ending. He told them over and over and over again. When we look at Matthew 26, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. We see it again in Mark. Says they left the place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. Now we're seeing kind of a pattern here that he's showing them what and telling them what's going to happen. And again in Luke, We hear Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus gives them the play by play of what's going to happen. Yet it says that they still didn't understand what he was talking about. They were even afraid to ask him. And if we read the last verse of that chapter in 18, Luke 18, 34, from the message transla- translation, it says, but they didn't get it. They could make neither heads nor tails of what he was talking about. Now, it's really easy for me to sit on this side of things and say... How is that possible, guys? How have you watched Jesus perform all of these miracles? You've seen him raise people from the dead. Like, you know he does what he says he's going to do, right? And here he is telling you exactly how this is going to happen, and you still don't understand. Where is your faith? Why don't you trust him? And how can your faith be so small after all that he has shown you? And then I realize that I'm the same way. And I sit here and I have the entire story, right? I have it all from beginning to end. I have all the promises. I have all the miracles. I even get to see that the tomb is empty, right? I know how the story ends. But yet I have so many moments of doubt or where my faith wavers and is barely hanging on. And maybe you're different from me and maybe your faith never wavers and maybe doubt never creeps in. But I'm guessing for most of us in this room, we've all had moments where that happens, where we aren't able to even make heads or tails of what he's talking about. So what is it? What is it that keeps us from being able to trust completely, even when we have the whole story, and we see the empty tomb? We could talk for hours about all the things that it probably is, but I wanna spend the rest of the time answering the question and having you kind of think about and answer the question in your own mind and heart. What is keeping you from putting your complete and total faith and trust in Christ? What is it that's keeping you from making that step? Now, it's important that we, we need and we have to have a foundation of who God is. And if that isn't solid, and our, we have views that don't line up with scripture, then we're going to struggle with our faith and we're going to struggle with our trust because whether you have known god your whole life or you're hearing about him for the first time today we all have views we all have beliefs or assumptions that we come into this relationship with that we have made about his character and maybe who he is and maybe that's the thing that's keeping you from trusting him today now you don't have to answer this out loud but how many in this room have ever made assumptions about someone before you know them? We all do that, right? Everybody, well maybe, not everybody I shouldn't say, I do that, okay? I'm really good at that. Now this is an area that God has working a lot in my life. So I'm much better than at this than I was at the time of the story I'm about to tell. Sometimes I make assumptions and have judgments about people and misconceptions about who they are before I even meet them. Not even once I get to know them, but before I even meet them. So most of you know that almost five years ago, God called Pastor Aaron and his family here at Ignite Wesleyan to be the lead pastors, which, oh my goodness, are we so thankful that that happened. Well, at the time, I had been the office manager for about eight years. And in the Wesleyan Church, when a new lead pastor comes in, they're allowed to staff the church however they see fit, meaning they can come in and they can hire an entire new staff. They, that's just part of how it works. Well, I started to hear some little rumblings and things that Pastor Aaron's wife was the administrator for the district, and so you know, logically it would make sense that she would want to manage the church office here, or at least that's what I created in my mind, right? So I had this tiny seed and that just kind of landed in my mind and before long, I was trying to make a plan of what jobs I was going to apply for, where I was going to be when I was replaced because obviously she was coming to replace me, right? Well, this was actually before I even ever met them. So the first few meetings, you can imagine, I went in with my kind of defenses up and knowing that like, I already know what you guys are doing, I know you, I know everything. Well, any of you who have spent five minutes with Pastor Aaron and Courtney know how far from the truth my thoughts were, right? And not one moment was that ever part of the plan. That was never part of anything that was going to happen. And those assumptions were completely my assumptions of who they were and what was going to happen. Now, once I let those assumptions go and that view go, First thing was I felt like a complete idiot for ever thinking that. But even deeper than that is that I found one of the dearest and the best friends that I've ever had in Courtney. But how do we do the same exact thing with God? How often do we do that? We carry the attitude of, okay, God, I will be cordial and I'll be nice because... Know that's kind of what I'm supposed to do, and I'll I'll be respectful and I'll smile when they say your name and when we, you know, maybe I'll even pray when people pray, but I know who you really are. I know that you are the God who punishes people. And I know you're the God that never ever answers my prayers. You're the God who doesn't want me to have any fun in my life. You're the God who took away the person I love most in my life. You're the God who wants to control everything about me. Those are the misconceptions that we continue to throw out at God, and the list goes on and on. So how do you have faith in someone who you don't know, or even worse, you just think that you know? How do we throw aside these misconceptions? How do we challenge these views that are so inaccurate that we have created of God in order to trust him? Well, I think the first step is you have to realize that you cannot trust someone who you don't know. It is impossible to truly trust trust someone who you don't know. Now, if I would have dug my heels in with this situation with Courtney and I, my assumptions, and I would have just said, "Well, I, I know better, and I know this is who you are," I would have missed out on one of the best relationships that God's ever put in my life, and I would have never got to know her heart and who she was and why. God put her there. See, God knew that I needed Courtney in my life. He knew that I needed that relationship, but I almost let my misconceptions and my inaccurate views completely destroy it before it started. Thankfully, we can all laugh about it now, but that could have prevented an amazing relationship. And How often do we let the same thing happen with God, where we dig in our heels and we say, no, I know who you are and we don't allow ourselves the chance to get to know him. We have to get to know God. Who he is, what he says, how he loves, all of it. And the only way to get to know someone is to spend time with them, right? Even the God of the universe. We have to have purposeful, intentional time together. And for some of us, that sounds crazy because how in the world do you spend time and get to know God? And if this idea is a little uncomfortable, I understand. But listen to what Jeremiah 9:24 says to us. Let the one who boasts boast about this that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth for in these I delight. See right here in God's word it tells us that we have the ability and understanding to know the Lord. He desires it. He wants that relationship with us. And when we continue to spend time with him, there becomes a closeness that is hard to even explain. Now, I guarantee that the more time you spend in scripture, simply even reading the Bible, digging into a study, whatever it may be, you will begin to see who God is. You begin to see how he loves. You begin to see his character unfold. And if this idea is new to you, and if reading the Bible is new to you, start small just jump in somewhere jump in the book of john and just start reading and maybe you will see that you have misconceptions about god that you didn't even realize or that you didn't even understand but let let this book let his scripture unravel those misconceptions from your heart for those of us who have had a relationship with god for a while don't stop it's it's the same as in a marriage Sometimes in marriage, after you're married for a lot of years, things get comfortable. You forget to spend time together. You forget to pour into each other, and pretty soon, you just, you kind of take the other person for granted. The same thing can happen with our relationship with God. So keep digging into scripture. Keep going through that difficult stuff, the stuff that maybe you don't understand. Maybe even the part of scripture that you don't like. Dig into it. Find someone to go through it with you. Or find someone to walk alongside who this journey is new to and walk alongside them. And I guarantee that both of you will grow closer in your relationship with God. Now, the second half of that, getting to know God, is through prayer. Talking, conversations. And again, for some of us, this is uncomfortable. Because we get caught up in our words. Or I get caught up in my words, I guess I should say, when we pray. Are they formal enough? What if I say the right thing? How do you even talk to God? Well, the most powerful times of prayer in my life have been when nothing is planned out. Nothing is scripted, nothing is formal. It is the driving in the car, talking to God, maybe crying, maybe yelling, whatever it may be. The kind of praying that people drive by, get a little worried about my mental health and while I'm yelling and crying at myself, Right, but that's, those are the times and those are the places where God meets me the most. He wants that kind of talking. He wants that kind of conversation. And guess what? He can handle it all. So just give it all to him. But with any good conversation, there's another side, right? There's talking, but there's also listening. And most of us would love to have that booming moses burning bush voice happen i've yet to have that experience i keep waiting that maybe someday but i've yet to have that but i will tell you that when i have those moments of prayer or whatever it is and i cry out to god and i ask for him to be there and i sit in stillness and i wait he always shows up always now that may be peace the middle of chaos. It may just be the ability to just have a few moments of peace and to breathe. It may be scripture that comes across in front of me all day long, where I finally get the point of, okay, this is for me. It may be words that somebody else says that God has, has especially for me. But when I ask to hear from God, He always, always shows up. So keep talking to God, but also keep listening. Now, Here's where it gets a little uncomfortable for me. Pray together. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, whether that is your spouse, your kid, a friend, someone who's struggling, whatever it may be, and if praying in front of people terrifies you, we should talk after service because I understand. The the first few times I was asked to pray up here, Oh my goodness, I can't even tell you how terrified I was of that. And then there were some words that Emma spoke during one of our prayer classes. And it it changed how I thought about things, and it really took the pressure off. She said that when you're praying out loud, you're talking to your God. You're talking to your Savior, your friend, and everybody else around you, they just get to listen. And that completely changed how I thought about praying out loud. Suddenly, it wasn't as if I was being graded on how many fancy formal church words I knew or if I said the right thing. It was the fact that I was talking to my God, having a conversation, and everyone else was just listening. Because there's power in praying together, and there's power in praying with those struggling. So if that's something that's difficult for you, I challenge you to maybe take the first step with that. So we've talked about the first step to, is getting to know God, right? We got that part down. But what if our faith and our trust is still held at a distance? We can, we can maybe spend some time with God, and maybe we can even read scripture, pray a little, but that trusting him with everything, that part is still very much at an arm's length away. I think some of us still hold a misconception that God has failed in the past, And even if we know him, we certainly couldn't ever trust him. Well, I would challenge you and ask you to take some time and look at God's track record. That probably seems like maybe we are checking the resumes, the references on God's resume. Um, But I think it's okay. And I think that's what he wants us to do. He gives it to us right here. And as I told you before, I... I sometimes am a little bit guarded, or maybe most of the time, and it's not that I need people to prove themselves to me, but I want to know that you can be trusted. I want to know you're safe, and that you check out, and that you say who you are. Like, I want to know your references. I want your track record, right? Again, an area that God's working on in my heart. But after my husband's accident, we lived in Denver for quite a while while he went through rehabilitation. And there were a lot of classes and a lot of things that I had to be there for. And honestly, there were just times where our one-year-old needed a break from the hospital. She just needed to not be in a hospital. The problem was, I've lived in Sheridan my whole life, and here I was in Denver, and I knew no one. So I'm supposed to find a babysitter in Denver, With for a girl who has only ever been with her parents and her grandparents, and I know no one. Caused maybe a little bit of anxiety there. So I was given the name of a friend of a friend of a friend. I think she was probably 14 or 15, and I don't even think I was given her last name. I was given her first name. Knew nothing else about her at all. And for those of you who are familiar with Denver, there is Federal Boulevard there's a really good side of Federal Boulevard, and there's a really not so good side of Federal Boulevard. I'll let you guess which side we ended up on. Um, So here I am picking up this girl who I know nothing about. I don't know her parents. I don't know her family. I don't know her, and I'm supposed to leave the thing that I love the most with her, and I have no background, no track record, nothing. Now, the good news is, Madison survived just fine, and everything turned out good, and it ended up being a really good situation. But I think sometimes that's what we expect of God. Like, we want to know everything up front. We want to know if he is worthy of our trust, if we can hand the things we love the most over to him. But he gives us his history right here, and we can read through and find it all. And if you're just beginning this process, I'm going to spoil it for you. He has an amazing track record. Everett Storms is a scholar who read through the entire Bible 27 times, finding all kinds of statistics and things that are way smarter than I can understand. But he found there to be a grand grand total of 8,810 promises. 7,487 of those were promises made by God to humankind. And unlike you and I when we make promises, not one of them were ever broken. Every last one of those promises were fulfilled. King Solomon says in 1 Kings, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Now, another very important characteristic when we're talking about how to trust God, also unlike you and I as humans, it is impossible for God to lie. It's not in his character, and it is not who he is. If he says something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. If he promises something, there's no waiting around to see. It's going to happen. I read the scripture this week, which I know I've read before probably many times, but I just there was a lot more that I saw in it this this time reading through as I was looking at it through the lens of promises and trust and faithfulness. It's Hebrews six starting in 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Since the beginning of time, God has been making promises. And the sad part is we live in a sinful world where people break promises. People lie, people hurt us, people let us down all the time. They break our trust and they break us. But when we read back what the scripture says, God wanted to make the unchanging nature very clear and this is his oath. He cannot and he will not lie to you. People will lie to you. It's gonna happen. People are going to break your trust. But we have his promise right here, that he will not lie to us. See, he knew we were gonna face this. He knew we were gonna have doubts, and that we would have the world around us cause us to question everything. So he spells it out as clearly as he can. His track record is perfect. He hasn't failed, he won't fail, and that's the anchor for our soul. So if the tomb is empty, which we know it is, if the tomb is empty, That means he is faithful and he can be trusted. All those times he told his disciples, Guys, wait the third day, like, wait till you see what happens. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna spoil the end of the story. This is what's gonna happen. He did it. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. So if that tomb is empty, that means I know without a doubt that he is faithful and he can be trusted. Now, all of us in this room have been hurt and betrayed at some point in our lives, maybe by a coworker or a boss, or maybe someone even closer, a sibling, a parent, a spouse. God understands that. The people closest to him betrayed him and hurt him too. He gets that. And pain and suffering and sin were not supposed to be a part of the plan for your life. We live in a fallen world and that is our reality. But I challenge you that if this is something you're struggling with today, and in turn, that is getting in the way of your relationship with God and your relationship to allow him to trust, to trust him with everything, give him the chance. Give him the chance to prove that he can be trusted with your heart. Start keeping track. Write down everything, the little things, the big things, the ways that God provides for you, and then read it often and remind yourself of God's faithfulness. And if your heart tells you that there is no one including God who you can trust, no one who won't let you down because it's happened before, I would ask you today to not live one more minute with that idea or that lie keeping you away from the God of truth. Step out in crazy, blind faith and take that first step. Now, having a God who keeps his promises and is faithful is not the same thing as having every prayer you pray get answered the way you want it or having someone to grant your every wish and desire. Those are two different, different things. But what happens when you live with this deep faith and trust? Step back and examine what does that empty tomb mean to you? Does it proclaim a God who keeps his promises? A God who is faithful and can be trusted? Then that's what our lives and our faith need to reflect. Last week, I I grabbed a pair of jeans out of my closet and the moment I started putting them on, I realized, okay, these are not my jeans, they're Madison's and obviously they're not going to fit me because we're not even close to the same size. Now, when I looked at them on the shelf, they looked exactly like a pair I have. But as I looked closer, I realized, okay, those are only going to fit her, not going to fit me. The same is true with our journeys to this faith and trust Each of us in this room have a different journey to get to that faith and trust. They're gonna fit differently. It's gonna look differently. It's gonna sound differently, and that's okay because we come from different backgrounds, different hurts, different pains, and most of us with different misconceptions of who God is, we all have barriers that we need to get through, and it may fit different, but the end prize is the same the freedom and the power and the joy that comes from realizing that because the tomb is empty, that he is faithful and he can be trusted. So we're gonna sing one last song, and the worship team's gonna start making their way up, and the song talks about the goodness of God, about who he is, about his character. If this is an area where you're struggling, listen to the words of the song, Continue to dig into your relationship with God through prayer, through scripture. And we have an amazing team here at the church and every single one of us would love to walk alongside you if this is an area where you're struggling or you have questions or you just want to take the next step. Please find us, call the office, come up and pray with us. Whatever it may be, just know that we would love to help you on this journey. And see what happens when you step into a different kind of faith trust and you begin to put everything you have in the hands of the God of the empty tomb because he is faithful and he can be trusted.